Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this week on the show, we are talking about Star Wars Visions, which is the newest anime anthology from Lucasfilm, featuring nine shorts from seven prominent Japanese anime studios. And we are so excited because we loved Visions. I will say, spoiler alert, we loved it, Sarah. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, you're you're pitching that over to me, but... Um, I also know that we loved it because I included in the we in this situation. And yes. it's true. It really is true. I, for one, had a freaking blast watching these shorts. We watched a couple together. The rest mm-hmm. we watched alone. Um, I caught them a little bit later than everybody else because I was traveling while they came out. So watching them after kind of some of the Twitter hype had happened was kind of exciting, too, because I finally got what everybody was talking about. and. I'm just excited to have a conversation, like a full conversation with you about them because we haven't totally talked about them yet, with the exception of like the duel because of Ronin. Obviously, you're getting this episode today if you're listening. And then next up is our Ronin spoiler discussion. So it is uh, it is Star Wars Visions Month here at Friends of the Force. And I'm I'm really excited about it because these stories are taking a galaxy far, far away into a much needed direction in terms of creative potential and creator involvement and just the breadth of what these stories can do and and the types of stories they can tell without any sort of constraints to canon and to really get the kinetics of star wars in a very unique way like how everything looks just very intense and action-packed and crazy and out of this world and you get all the excitement of star wars within you know 15 to 20 minutes tells like a very contained story in a short amount of time Mm-hmm. And I almost felt like as I was watching Visions, I was getting something where I was like, I could see this being a full feature length film. Yeah. I could see this. I could see this being an entire show on its on its own. Like, did you get that sense from Visions? Just the power of these stories and like the characters that that were featured? Yeah. I mean, I'll first say that, like, we have been talking about getting new creators in the room and at the table for a long time now. And in some ways that has happened, you know, the Mandalorian while helmed by uh, Filoni, who has done a lot within Star Wars already, has brought new directors into the mix like Deborah Chow. Um, you're going to know the rest of them better than me because <laughs> you enjoy Mandalorian. So like all these awesome voices that are brand new to the franchise. And, you know, that's that's awesome. And they're kind of working in somebody else's vision in a way. So to have these um, anime studios with these specific directors who have done so much work but now have the opportunity to work in star wars because it's not necessarily their medium to pair them up um in this way with star wars i think is so exciting and it brought so many new voices to uh the table with regards to storytelling whether it be canon or not so i was just really glad to see that and getting to watch the filmmaker focus and talk about and have them talk about what story they wanted to tell and how they wanted to tell it was so cool and i learned a lot from those little short behind the scenes things but i guess going back to your question um did they feel like they could have all been something more yeah and while i don't necessarily think that these stories will have major spinoffs um or will be spun into a larger project the potential for these stories the headcanon potential for these stories and i think the the solidity of these characters it's all there um 
obviously we're getting a book that's based on the story of the duel, but I could have seen more of the ninth Jedi. I could have seen more of Lop and Ocho. Um, I could have seen more of what happened in Tatooine Rhapsody, or I could have seen, you know, the village bride totally expanded into a feature length film. So these stories just have so much going on within them that makes them so rich um, and fulfilling to watch in 15 minutes. But it also makes me wonder, oh my gosh, I want to know literally everything about that character. Mm -hmm. But I think as Star Wars fans, we do that for literally every character that crosses the screen as well. We're like, oh my God, he was in the frame for two seconds. I want to know him, <laughs> you know? That's, um, that's how I felt about the uh, Bon Calamari and Lapanocho who was wearing the, uh, the knit sweater. It was the same one as the Mandalorian Mon Calamari. Uh, oh my I was gosh. like, oh my God, he's there. <laughs> They're family. <laughs> They're the same person. Or uh, for me, it was the Ithorian in... Um, tattooing rhapsody who's just like bopping yeah. to star waver and i'm like just i want to know him i want to be him and like mm -hmm. he's got good vibes he um, is the moment he is the moment or like i wanted to know more about the the saber smith father in the ninth jedi like i want to know about his entire life story but yeah. i think that's our nature as star wars fans to like want to run to wikipedia and find out everything we can know about somebody so while it is unfortunate for us in that way that these are not all feature length things, I love the bite size um, storytelling that we get with the shorts. I am a, a proponent of the the short film medium for sure. Mm -hmm. Ask me about short films, guys. Ask me about short films. <laughs> and kind of what you were speaking to about, even if we don't necessarily get a follow up to some of these stories, sometimes for me, the best measurement of a of the success of a Star Wars story is like, do I care? Do I care about the characters? Do I care about their trajectory or where they came from, their backstory? Like what motivates them? Like, do I want to get to know them on a personal level? And if the answer to that is yes, those are the stories that I tend to like the most. Like I think of Rogue One. I think of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. I think of uh, yep. Rebecca Roanhorse's Resistance Reborn and all those sorts of stories like Lost Stars. Like you care about these characters so deeply. And if you can just find that within such a short amount of time and like continue to catch that lighting in a bottle, that's, that's where the best Star Wars stories come from. Like, do you feel that that for you is like an important thing to consider anytime you sit down and watch a new Star Wars is just simply caring? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. For me, everything comes down to character. Um, and not just in Star Wars, but in all the books I read too. If I can't find myself endeared to the character, if I can't connect with them on some way or feel for them or or want to root for them and whatever their goal is, then it's a, it's a story that's failed. Everything comes down to do I want to go on this journey with this character? And and that's the sign of a successful story is that, you know, you as an audience member or me as an audience member do. Um, Resistance. So. We, we can't neglect resistance, right? We care about the Colossus, even though the, mm -hmm. the show is very whimsical and goofy. It's the characters that make it so cherished for us. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned a lot of books um, that we also both love, Alphabet Squadron, Lost Stars. I also think of uh, Bloodline, where by the end of those books, you're like, oh my God. I can't believe that this happened for, for lost stars and bloodline. It's a little bit more tragic than one would hope for some of those characters, but for something like the, uh, the alphabet squadron series, they all get this ending that leaves us feeling better about having gone on that journey with them. And mm -hmm. that's how I feel about visions. Not that the tragedy is, um, 
not valid. I love me some good tragedy. Uh, I really do. I love a good cry. Um, and we get some of that tragedy in Akakiri. But in all of these stories, I feel better for having gone on the journey with them. Even mm-hmm. if the short itself was not my favorite, I got something out of every single one of them. And that I think is really wonderful alongside the fact that I am not somebody who has historically really watched any anime. And so getting to be exposed to different studios and different styles and getting a bit of a primer on anime through a Star Wars lens, I, for me as a viewer uh, who is really not, you know, connected to anime i thought that was really valuable and i'm looking forward to learning more and seeking out more as well absolutely i'm sure there's a lot of resources out there that are like hey if you liked x y and z story from star wars visions you should watch these animes and i am definitely not the expert on that but you should seek out those resources because i personally want to watch more anime i know there's I think there's some on Netflix and there's some on, I think, Crunchyroll is a site that a lot of people use. Yes, it is Crunchyroll. And the awesome thing for U.S. viewers who happen to have the service HBO Max, both Crunchyroll and Studio Ghibli films are available on HBO Max. So do I have some catching up to do? Yes. Uh Yes. And am I looking forward to it? Yes. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be a packed full episode full of our thoughts on Star Wars Visions. We're going to talk about, you know, our, again, our overall feelings, which we've kind of already glossed over slightly. We're going to talk about the idea of canon and how it's sometimes good to venture outside of those confines. We'll give our brief thoughts on each of the episodes of Visions, and then we will give our top three uh, before we wrap up and kind of ask what's next for this, this storytelling. Because we love a good ranking here in Star Wars land, don't oh, yeah. we? Oh, yes. <laughs> we can't get through an episode with a lots of parts without a ranking. <laughs> <laughs> but first, Sarah, yeah, you went to Galaxy's Edge recently, and I oh want to hear your thoughts. We got some catching up to do here for our listeners. How, how was your first trip to Galaxy's Edge? Um, so do you want to make this a two-part episode? Part one, Sarah's trip to Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> and part two, Star Wars Visions? No, I'm kidding. I'll keep it brief. Um, it was magical. Uh, it was really soul healing. I went to Batu West um, to Disneyland and I went with a friend and we had a blast and she got me blue milk, which was the nicest thing ever, um, which, oh my God, you guys, it's, <laughs> it's delicious. I'm mad that it's like $8 because I probably could have had five of them throughout the day if it wasn't $8 <laughs> um, a drink. So um I did it all. We rode all the rides. I rode the Falcon five times. I saw Kylo. I saw Ray. Um, rode Rise of the Resistance, which is oh my god, you guys, uh, insane, amazing, stunning. Oh my gosh. Um, waved to Chewie. Ate all of the major foods. Drank all of the major drinks. Like I did it all. And you were um, having a party. I did. I had a party with myself and with my friend, and it was it was really great. And. Uh, I highly recommend anybody if you, if, and when you have the ability to get out there and just spend a single day, even, um, going to galaxy's edge, I, I recommend it because it's, it's really magical. And for a star Wars fan like myself, who has had a tumultuous relationship with star Wars a bit, um, since that thing, that movie, that movie, um, you know, it was really nice to be able to go quite literally back into a time before that movie since the film doesn't take place into them i was like this is ray nobody and she is my girl this is a little um, pocket universe that you want to just stay in forever it was it was great it was great and um i cried after talking to ray because i was um i literally like was so starstruck that i could only ask her for a picture 
And then I like walked away and started crying. And I was like, I can't believe I just said hello to Ray. I, I love her. I was so overwhelmed. Like <laughs> I was overwhelmed by meeting a fictional character. I can't, I can't like, uh, like I'm so dumb. Um, but I just was like, I think I'm falling in love with Star Wars again. And that was, you guys, so refreshing. So refreshing. It felt so good. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, the blue milk does rock. And can I explain how it tastes? No. Oof. <laughs> I can't I can't explain it. Well, first, Sarah, I want to thank you for for sharing your story here because I, I was getting all your updates and I was living vicariously through you. But let's turn it over real quick to something else that is also just as delicious. And that is the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> because we got a little bit of news that I want to mention here on the show because I am a huge Boba Fett yeah, fan. It's true, guys. He means he really a lot is. to me. I love Tamora Morrison, the fact that he is back and he is living mm-hmm. his best life because mm-hmm. he, he gets to just play anybody that is a clone at this point. He gets to play, <laughs> he'll get to play live action Rex. He might get to play live action Cody. He gets to play Boba Fett. He might get to play Jango Fett in a flashback. I really hope he gets to do I it mean, all. He gets to play everybody. He is, he's all over the place. He could, he could play Bad Batch live action for all I care. Like, let's do it. Let's, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. All of them. All of them. Please. But. We found out that this show is premiering on December 29th, which is a Wednesday. So this is our first time we're getting live action Star Wars on a Wednesday, which is going to be very interesting. I don't know how I feel about the Wednesday. Although, again, it worked pretty well for me with Loki because it gave me a little like boost of serotonin halfway through the week. So, you know, I guess it's something good to to have there. But I'm so excited for the show because I just I can't wait. Like the poster, the man spread of it all, like Boba Fett. (laughs) What is it with villains and Star Wars? Like man spreading on thrones. I'm looking at you, yeah. Thrawn, mm-hmm. Maul, and Kylo Maul? Ren. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. going on? What's going on? What do you What do you think of the the, the spread? I know you're kind of like you know <laughs> lukewarm on Boba Fett, but like I got to ask you about the the Boba spread. Yeah. So let's go back to when we watched the Siege of Mandalore together. It was my first time ever watching it. Brad watched it with me. It was great, you guys. And I saw Maul sitting on that throne. And I had the I am looking respectfully meme going on all over my face. I really did. I'm sorry. I was thirsting. I was thirsting and I'll admit it. And then there's that concept art um, from the Rise of Skywalker of Kylo like lounging in a throne. And I was like, "Mm, I am looking respectfully. And I'll have to I have to be honest with you as much as I like don't have any strong opinions on Boba Fett. The end the end credits slash first trailer for Book of Boba Fett where he's sitting in the chair in like, is it is that Jabba the Hutt's palace? Is that, is that where we're, we're set? Yeah. Is that, is that where we're set? Is that where we're set in this? <laughs> yes. Okay. After he I kills was, Bib Fortuna. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. I have to go watch that again. Um, I was looking respectfully. So yeah. I will say that I am continuing to look respectfully. Um, is it working for me? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some brilliant marketing, really. It's going to get, I mean, like, let's be honest, everybody's thirsty for a man in armor in the Star Wars galaxy. It's, it's just true. a fact. It's a fact. That's so true. when you, when you add the man spread on the giant throne, mm-hmm. the, the, like it just speaks power and like, Ooh, Oh no, he's hot. Yeah. Yeah. All the Star Wars fans, regardless of gender are like, uh Oh yeah, I think he's hot. Uh oh, is that gonna sell me? I'm yeah. a Boba and Fennec shipper. 
too. Like I'm oh, on sure. that train. So sure. When you yeah. add that element in there, because the synopsis reads that this finds legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett and mercenary Fennec Shan navigating the galaxy's underworld when they return to the sands of Tatooine to stake their claim on the territory once ruled by Jabba the Hutt and his crime syndicate. So, like, this very clearly is saying, like, this is Fennec's show and this is Boba's show, like, together. Like, they are taking back Tatooine. I hope this show explores some of, like, the slavery aspects of Tatooine. Like, that would mm. be really cool. It'll be mm-hmm. interesting how he takes those personal experiences and his upbringing and where he came from to try to maybe liberate some of Tatooine and make it a, a safer place to live. So I'm excited. I, I hope that the show touches on that because if there's one thing that's uh, an under-discussed topic that's it's kind of glaring in, in Star Wars, it is like the slavery aspect of Star Wars. And I know Claudia Gray has tackled it in more than one of her books, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. But uh, yeah, it's still one of those things that I think needs more constant discussion, as lo- especially as we continue to go back to Tatooine. So um, I'll be curious. I'll be curious. Uh, yeah. And I'm also just glad that Ming-Na Wen um, Queen. is continuing to actually like, I, I can't even begin to express my frustration of when she got, you know, quote unquote, killed off in the first season of The Mandalorian in the same episode that she had been introduced in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Really? And yeah. so the fact that she came back this past season and also came back in the Bad Batch and is going to be a major player in the Book of Boba Fett is is really satisfying. Um, and I, I wish I wish she hadn't been like, quote unquote, killed off in the first season of Mandalorian in the first place. But I'm thrilled that she is continuing to get to live her best life in the Star Wars universe and get to be like a co-lead of the show. So, like, I can't complain about that at all. And she's got a Funko Pop now, officially. <laughs> yeah. Fennec yeah. Shan has one. She's got two. Uh-huh. She's with uh, on her own and on the throne with Boba. Oh, nice. Which I didn't nice. think they were going to give us that Funko Pop like on the throne. I was like, they're not going to do it. And they freaking did it? it. Yeah, I bought it already. I already pre-ordered oh my gosh. it. So. Um, I'm not surprised. I just, yeah. do you, I, I'm, you're just going to have to carve out a little place in your, your space to dis- display that one. Folks, being a Star Wars fan means running out of room on your shelves between the number of books and the number of different merch things that you just pick up throughout the years. It's it's mostly books, though, for me. It's just a lot of books, books everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of books that I buy off eBay and I should stop, but it's okay. It's okay. eBay but is our friend. But a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> but, but I needed it. All it's right. only $4. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Star Wars Visions. I know yes. we gave our thoughts up front about it. First thing I want to ask you is, what were your expectations going into the show? What was your experience like watching the show? Like, what really like jumped out to you initially? What wowed you? What was the factor that just kept go- like making you want to come back and watch even more and just be like, oh my god, like I just went to Galaxy's Edge and now I'm watching Star Wars Visions and like I am loving Star Wars. I actually love Star Wars. What? Like, yeah. What brought that magic for you from Visions? All right, so let's go all the way back to what november 2020 december to the december yeah the disney investor day mm-hmm. where we sat over zoom for like seven hours watching all of that and then reacting to it on the pod and you know some of the stuff that they announced i was like ah, I'm not, this is not gonna be for me and then they said star wars visions like short films from a galaxy far far away by you know anime studios and i heard new people telling star wars i heard animation i heard short film and i was like oh no this is gonna be my thing like again as i said up front ask me about short films 
ask me for short film recommendations. I'll give you live action and documentaries. Okay. Um, I just love a short film. Great medium of storytelling. Okay. We've established that. So I was just excited about the idea and the, the, the project. And I was trying not to put a lot of expectation on it because I didn't want to like, you know, overhype myself or, um, put expectations on it that didn't align with the project itself. So the only thing I was worried about that is that it would stick too close to what we knew and wouldn't get too new or too exciting, um, which was stupid of me, but like, that's my concern always. And then when we saw the trailer, like the actual trailer, I had this like jaw on the ground. This is so freaking cool. So my expectations were like, I'm just ready to be wowed. And for me, it lived up to that. I definitely felt wowed. I was intrigued the entire time. I appreciated the different styles of each short um, in terms of the animation and the storytelling and the stories that they told. So I tried not to get my expectations up um, or I tried not to get my hopes up. And ultimately, I came out really impressed. As for the timing of everything, I wish I had been able to watch them, you know, like a couple before I went to Disney and, you know, um, because it was the same day. And then like a couple after, but I was staying with family and obviously family time is really important, especially uh, during this pandemic when I have not been able to see them. So I didn't worry about it and caught them later. And while I was a little bummed that I couldn't catch them at the time, they were exactly coming out with everybody else and join in that conversation in the same way. I'm just really happy to have seen them at all. Like <laughs> they're just so exciting and thrilling. And um, mm -hmm. for me, what captured me and what, what brought me back to the, oh my God, I think I love Star Wars. Um, energy of it all was just the imagination of them and the fact that every one of them was so different for me it's interesting that a lot of them focused on the force and kyber and um that element of star wars but i loved that they all told a different story within that idea um you know like tob one is completely different than the ninth jedi which is completely different than the elder you know, uh, even though they're all kind of talking about the Jedi and the Sith and fighting and that sort of stuff. And then you have something like Tatooine Rhapsody, which is completely, like, completely different than everything else. So there's something there for everybody. Right. And I think it's really easy for um, hopefully all viewers of the shorts to find one short that really sticks with them and resonates with them. So mm -hmm. that was a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> what was interesting, too, is this is the first time that lucasfilm has released everything all at once like we got all the visions at once yeah i think kind of getting it all at once for these specific types of stories and like what they wanted to do and like the length of them i think it really works as like a binge whether you wanted to binge it or whether you wanted to space them out over a weekend or a week you could kind of choose but i didn't really feel like i was getting everything spoiled for me online luckily there mm -hmm. wasn't too much of that and i think that was really cool to watch at your own pace and get the breadth of everything at once if you wanted to and like for me i didn't watch before work i just came home and i watched everything all in one go and i was just like truly amazed had like a smile from ear to ear and i felt like a kid and every time a new episode started and you just drop into a new time and place and you don't really question it you're just like this is star wars yeah you don't really ask yourself like oh I think I had to like keep kind of reeling myself back a bit because my first instinct is to always go like, okay, so is this uh, 
pre-Phantom Menace? Is this between Revenge of the yeah. Sith and mm-hmm. New Hope? Is this after? I'm just like, stop it. Just enjoy. Just enjoy for what it is. And I think of like Ram Jamaran, you know, like don't don't try to think of things in the parts of the whole as for what you want them to be, but as for like what they are. Yeah. And I think you really have to approach Star Wars visions through that mentality. You just have to appreciate it and watch it and, and engage with it for what it is mm-hmm. and not what you want it to be or what you expect it to be, but just for what it is. And it's a really good storytelling. Like I, I'm just like really impressed with the quality of it and getting it in the specific medium, especially considering the Japanese cultural influences on Star Wars through things like, you know, Kurosawa's films and like Hidden Fortress and Seven Samurai. And it's really nice to to have Star Wars reflect that culture finally and made from people who are within that culture. Mm-hmm. And it's long overdue, but I'm glad that it's finally happened. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's been clear since the beginning that and George Lucas has stated multiple times that um He's been influenced by Kurosawa and um, these Japanese storytelling and that sort of stuff. However, a lot of the sources for Japanese elements in Star Wars have not been um, properly attributed or talked about, specifically considering something like Padme's wardrobe. A lot of her um, styling has been based on specific images from Japanese history. So... I think Star Wars can continue to do a better job at acknowledging its influences. But at the same time, I do think that it's really, really wonderful that this particular project is specifically allowing Japanese storytellers to tell the stories that they want to tell within the Star Wars universe and and give them the freedom to tell them in the way that they would hope uh, and that they would want to. And one thing that I really took away from the filmmaker focus is that Many of these storytellers really have a fandom history with Star Wars and had watched it at a young age or had been inspired by it at some point and dreamed of, you know, being able to tell a Star Wars story like many of us do, you know, um, and finally getting to be able to tell that story with the uh, reins kind of off and, and saying, like, you tell a story you want to tell. It doesn't have to be within the confines of what we already have feel free mm-hmm. to remix it or, or change yeah. it or do something completely different or bring your own history to it. Um, I think it's really valuable. So I hope we get a second season because it would allow there, are you know, there are more anime studios out there. We know this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So to get, get either the, some of these filmmakers back or to get brand new voices in the room, I think it's a win-win for fans and for creators alike. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about canon while we're on that topic, because I think this has been the most interesting discussion about what's going on and like how much of that creative freedom really lent to these stories having some sort of massive impact on everybody. It kind of makes you wonder, does canon hurt more than it helps? What what are your thoughts on on canon? And I think it helped definitely more than it hurt Visions, obviously. Like, how did it help Visions? And like, should we do more of this type of storytelling where we just like, you know, all rules out the window, Mm -hmm. tell it how we want to tell it. Yeah. So for me, I love canon. Canon is how I frame my Star Wars world, right? I have only read Star Wars canon books up to this point. I haven't dipped into Legends um, for some reasons that relate to Legends versus canon and also for some reasons that relate to how science fiction and fantasy have been written like 30 years ago versus now. Um, But for me... 
canon is great because canon allows us to kind of have an idea of the bigger picture, um, to think about the ways that things cross over and connect. And, and there's enjoyment in that, especially as people who uh, spend a lot of time looking at and analyzing Star Wars and uh, talking publicly about it for an audience. Um, there's, there's a consistency to that that I appreciate. At the same time, screw canon. Throw it out a window. <laughs> like, I don't care, you know? Um, so while I do care and while I appreciate um, the structure that canon gives audiences, I also think it is too rigid and especially especially in the Star Wars storytelling, when we are, and by we, I mean, I think creators at large are still stuck in 1977. And I don't mean that all as a bad thing, um, but I do think that it can be a trap at the same time. Of course, the original film is in like, you know, the original trilogy are such a cultural touchstone and like such a moment. Um, in history and pop culture history that of course they're going to be key going forward at the same time star wars has appealed to multiple different generations because the stories that are being told to that generation specifically to appeal to them i'm a prequel kid i live for the prequels you know they are special to me and their story to me often ranks above the original trilogy and when you kind of fall into the trap of of 1977 all the time you don't create these brand new stories all the time. Does that make sense mm -hmm. I'm, where I'm going here with this? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, if you, if you keep mining from the same, well, you're eventually you know? going to reach the bottom of that pit. Um, right. And I think creatively that you don't want to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So not to say we shouldn't use those that iconography from 1977 oh, yeah, yeah, because it's all, it's always going to influence Star Wars in some way, but I think something John Favreau said from the making of Mandalorian, which I really loved was like Mandalorian season one, they didn't, they didn't want to do things that were inspired by star Wars. They wanted to do things that George was inspired by. Yeah. Sure. Right. So they're getting mm -hmm. like to the heart of like what made star Wars, star Wars. It's not star Wars didn't derive itself from itself. It, it derived itself from culture mm -hmm. and like monomyth and mythology and like all these things. It's not, yeah, from, you know, star Wars is just like its own, new mythology that is changing and evolving and is and should be a little malleable yes because that's that's when the best stories are told is when it kind of you can kind of form it to what you want it to be but you yes. know obviously pay respect to it and treat it with care at the same time but also there needs to be a little bit of, of freedom in that. yeah so i guess the reason why i say throw cannon out the window is because some of the most exciting storytelling comes when you're able to bend the rules a little bit and uh I, I go back to my favorite, you know, pseudo legends book, which is the legends of Luke Skywalker, uh, which are the stories real? Are the stories not? Some of them are clearly not real, but fishing in the deluge that could have happened, you know, and it's just bending the rules a little bit about what Star Wars can be. And I think that's what's exciting. And that's what makes visions exciting. Like mm -hmm. the, the idea of the twins and there's a lightsaber that cuts a Star Destroyer in half, like. And they're all breathing in outer space. That bending of the rules is what makes that short fun mm -hmm. um, and what makes it exciting. And so I don't think bending the rules is bad. And I hope that Star Wars continues to want to twist the rules a little bit and, and you know, see how malleable it all is because it is malleable. And I think that some people think it's fixed. 
mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I'm, I'm what I'm here to say too long. Didn't listen is that mining from the past can be good, but we also should mine from other places in order to, mm-hmm. and, and in order to be able to twist it and mold it and create something new. Okay. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Likewise, having a, a cano- canonical framework is also a good thing. Yeah. But like every, every story doesn't need to necessarily fit that. Sit that. You yeah. Know? yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think of things like when people, I, I feel kind of silly talking about canon because it's like, it's like, who cares? You know, like who really cares? I just want good storytelling, but I think it's important to, to acknowledge and talk about as we discuss visions, because this is like one of the first things that I think we've gotten since the, the kind of the Disney reset mm-hmm. with like, you know, this is going to be the canon now. This is the first thing we've gotten. That's kind of been like, Oh, it's, Let's do it outside the box a little bit. It's okay. Let's just try something new, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely an important conversation to have, and I'm like really excited about it. And it was definitely to Visions' advantage. Yes. I think when I first heard that it wasn't going to be canon, my immediate thought was like, oh, does that devalue the work of the creators? Right? Because everything exists within this canonical framework. And then I had to take a couple minutes to think about it and was like, no. Because this allows them to do more. And ultimately, mm-hmm. I think that really paid off. And having that choice to exist outside the bounds of canon um, is really refreshing in a, yeah. in, a, in a storytelling that's existed for 40 years inside this kind of tight framework within over the span of like 50 years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. It's, it's cool. It's cool to see things clearly derived from that, but completely new at the same time. It's like the, the Ewok movies. They're not they're not canon. Yeah. But they're fun as heck. They're fun. <laughs> <laughs> like I love those movies. <laughs> we had such a good time watching them and talking about them. Yeah. And we haven't watched droids or ewoks yet, but, but you know, we're we'll, gonna, we'll watch at that some at some point. point and I'm sure we'll find something in it that we like that we love. And that's that's the fun part about this is like, you know, not all of these shorts have to be for you, but you'll find the one that you just really enjoy and you should give it a you give it a shot. Keep an open mind yeah. with this, because I think this is some of the most refreshing storytelling that we've gotten in Star Wars in, in many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think a lot of it is due to the fact that there is just the sky's the limit. You can just yeah. do what you want. Tell the story that you want to tell. So I want to ask you, like, what are some of the elements of, of visions that you really love that we didn't already talk on like for me it was the music like i think the music had so Mm -hmm. many homages to lots of other star wars motifs like especially rogue one i I picked up a a lot of musical cues from that village bride and akakiri had some really standout music as well yes Um, the 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 duel kind of had like a duel the fates like choral music playing that was something that stuck out for me like did you did you catch that with some of the musical beats in there yes i did um for me we can talk about this more when we get into the shorts themselves but the music really allowed some of the particular shorts to stand out akakiri sounds completely different than every other one of the shorts and which makes it bold and scary and you know you're you're really scared for the characters because you're like "Uh oh i can see it coming he's walking right into it you know (laughs) um and same with the village ride it's got this melancholic kind of sad yet reverent um sound to it and that's when we watched together and i immediately got emotional because i was like oh this is beautiful this is beautiful and the story that it's telling me is is something that is heartbreaking and, and necessary um and i think it's pretty great that 
clearly um, pulled inspiration from the music of Star Wars, but also traditional Japanese music and traditional Japanese instruments um, in the Village Bride in the the filmmaker focus. They talk about some of the instruments that are used. And so they use the sho, the shamisen, the koto and the shakuhachi. Um, please, I apologize if I mispronounce any of these things. Um, but these are all traditional Japanese instruments that are clearly featured in that, that score, which makes it feel all the more special and authentic. And I, for one, really appreciated that as a music nerd and as just somebody who loves to, to learn. So the music is incredible. Yeah, it, <laughs> Give me the album, drop the album. I'll listen to it all the time. One of my favorite things about Visions is that they didn't lower the bar whatsoever in any area. Mm-hmm. Like they treated each component of Visions like the score, the effects, the sound mixing, the acting. All of it is as quality as anything else. Like you would think like, oh, they're 15-minute shorts. No, they like compose this like with an orchestra, this music. Like yeah. I was watching the behind the scenes on The Ninth Jedi, which to me my favorite score is that that short and like the moment when the father lights up the lightsaber for the first time and the music that plays like you really feel the emotions of that scene just from that and it, they even mm-hmm. talked about like how that was like a really like triumphant score there in that moment and the fact that lightsabers have not been seen in quite some time and like when he lights it up and you hear that music like you almost feel like you are a part of this galaxy that's like, oh my God, I haven't seen a lightsaber either. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. I, like, I haven't seen a lightsaber magical. for a hundred years, even though we see them all the time. But it's like, you, you, mm-hmm. you feel that just from the music, like you feel the importance of that moment and what it means for those characters that like this weapon is in this man's hand and it's being lit and like it worked and he created it. And now they have, they have these devices again that the galaxy hasn't seen for, for decades. And that's magical. You don't often get that in Star Wars where like a, a, a score brings you to tears. Uh, yes, well, I do. <laughs> well, you do actually. But but you might not expect a short film to have as deep of an emotional impact with the music as like a, a, an epic film. Mm-hmm. But it but it does and it works really well. And that's what I, that was something that surprised me the most. Yeah. Uh, again, I go back to asking about short films um, <laughs> because like they're so powerful. They're so powerful. Um, but you Star mentioned- Wars should do more short films, by the way. Like, I, I agree on anything. Like just I will take anything on anything. <laughs> I just I love it. Um, but you mentioned that, you know, they really didn't skimp in any area. And that brings me to the voice performances, both, uh, you know, English and in Japanese. And did you watch it primarily as, you know, the dub or the sub title, like, or both? So I initially watched the English dub. I'm hoping to go back soon and do a rewatch on the, on the sub version. But yeah, I mean, the cast for this, when it was first announced, I was really surprised. Uh, I mean, you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bobby Moynihan, Neil Patrick Harris, Alison Brie, Christopher Sean was in it, who who's in the Village Bride, and like hearing him laugh and giggle during that, I was like, "That's just Kaz." I was just like, "That's just Kaz." That's my He's boy. laughing. It's my boy. That's my son. That's my boy. Uh, you had Kyle Chandler in a Star Wars. Let me tell you, Professor Mataka did not disappoint. I was so happy. I, I know we talked about that in the original Visions trailer reaction that we did, and I was just mm-hmm. I was just so happy about it. And you have Henry Golding in here who like Henry Golding, <laughs> sir, Jordan Fisher, 
a lot of people in this cast that was just it made it a really great watch for the first time notably uh Kamiko Glenn and Simu Leo and the in the ninth Jedi um two more amazing uh talents I will say I don't know if you had a favorite performance but I have both a favorite voice performance in English and in um the original Japanese uh sure go for it okay in English dub it is unsurprisingly Christopher Sean as Asu in the village bride <laughs> i heard his voice and i was like i love him i love him i love him i'm so endeared i'm obsessed he's a sweet boy he's just carrying his wife up up the mountain obsessed what a, what a good guy you were you were getting emotional when we watched that i, I was, saw it i was it was the music and then it was him and i was just like this is so beautiful i love it my favorite from the japanese cast was masako nozawa who voiced toby or t-o-b-1 mm. i thought the performance in japanese for for that character was so wonderful and so light and joyful and really brought toby to life and i was immediately endeared to that character even though that short wasn't my entire favorite i i love i love my droid jedi baby (laughs) and i thought that performance was like really brilliant you mentioned droids let's talk about droids because star wars visions did not disappoint on the droid front I was not at so all. happy. Yeah. I mean, obviously you, you mentioned TOB one and friends, by the way, and, and friends. friends. So yep. there's a lot of friends. You have K three, four, four in Tatooine Rhapsody who I love his little dance moves, how he just like moves his arms up and down and just like, kind of like waddles back and forth. Like he's just jamming all the time. Every time the camera's on him, he's just doing a move. He's rolling around in the sand. Amazing icon. Yeah. Sure. Background dancer at the next Super Bowl show. Let's do it. Sign me up. She's amazing. Then you have B2ON and R Duo from the Twins. R Duo. Um, R Duo is a precious baby boy who um is uh perfect and mm-hmm. would never do anything wrong. He's just there to help and here to be a pal and here to also pilot that X-Wing while you slice the Star Destroyer in half. You know, big mood. Then you have TD4 from La Pinocho, which td4 oh my god little baby can i just can i just say when td4 showed the photo of the family and that you know and like the 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 words that went along with that like moving image there um i wouldn't call it a video it it was a boomerang okay it was boomerang um (laughs) in the hologram and i was like cry and then i'm sorry and then ocho like slices him and i was like oh ocho is out of here i'm so sorry i'm i'm pro redemption for everybody but like she just destroyed their family picture that Done. that's a jerk face move um, no more redemption no more, I'm, I'm kidding on that but like i was like so <laughs> upset because i was like all td4 is here to do is just like be a kind soul and like show that image and remind both lop and ocho of their family and the love that they share for one another um and Oh my god. Oh my god. I just broke my heart. It broke my heart. And lastly, we have Stuart Droid from the Ninth Jedi, which I love the fact that in the Ninth Jedi, like you think this droid is bad the entire time. And, you know, I love, I think back to Obi-Wan's lines where he's like, you know, your eyes can deceive you. Yeah. Because they truly can. This whole episode is just meant to make you think that these are really the Jedi. They dress them up in a very specific way to make you think those are Jedi. That guy is a Sith because he has dark red eyes and he looks scary. He looks like Darth Vader. This droid mm-hmm. is very ominous. He's the only one there right now. Like what's He's going on? Extra tall and 
a little yeah, bit. Yeah, very foreboding. Yeah, yeah. And he and he really doesn't, he's not telling it to you straight. Mm-hmm. He's kind of ob- ob- obscuring the, the truth a little bit there. And I'm like, I'm scared of him. He's tall and he has one eye. Right. Single which, red eye. You're single red like, eye. What, what's bad. he thinking in there? Yeah, so yeah. the fact that, you know, he eventually opens up and there comes the Margrave. I was, I, I love, that's like, what a twist. What a twist. Yeah. I like, I was shook out of my mind. I'm yeah. sorry. I was, I was like really overwhelmed by that twist. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing on the topic of droids is I just, I just love when Star Wars has very lovable droids because there's just something so special. I mean, thinking back to A New Hope, some of the first things we ever saw were C-3PO and R2-D2. So like, of course, droids are so ingrained into the Star Wars language and they speak to us. They're, they're chirps and their beeps and their quirps and their tweets like and their words all of it right and their words yeah like all of it which by the way everybody go watch the i think it's called the beep the the yeah, or beeps. the boops or something uh the beeps episode of star wars a galaxy of sound because it's just a bunch of beeps and droids and everything it's it's amazing if you're a droid fan like me it'll just warm your little heart like <laughs> yeah yeah it's eight minutes of I, nonstop beeping <laughs> Droids are some of the most um, like truly wonderful aspects of, aspects of Star Wars because they are inhuman, but each of them kind of has a human element that I think we can all pull from or relate to or, you know, find yourself loving um, or find yourself annoyed by. But like for me, that the people hate on C-3PO, but they're wrong. Um, <laughs> that's my thought. Uh, C-3PO's so have, great. He's great. He's I just trying his best. I just relate to him a lot. He um, had his mind wiped, people. Give him a break. He doesn't know so anything. Rude. So sad. That so that's, rude. By um, the way, that's that's Bail Organa's fault, by the way. I, I know we love yeah. Bail, but like that's Bail's, Bail Organa's Bail's kind of a dick for that. Kind of yeah, a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, <laughs> but like having all of these wonderful new droids, I just want to hug them all. And yes. um, I'm, I'm, you know, Star Wars is better for their being there. And I very seriously mean that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, so we've talked a lot about our overall thoughts and opinions on Visions. We've talked about canon. We've talked about the music. And we've kind of touched on most of the shorts. But now we're going to talk about each of the shorts in a little bit of detail. We're going to run through them all, talk about our highlights, um, anything that stands out about these ones. And then at the end of it all, we will rank our top three. Because as I said at the top of this episode, you can't get through a Star War without a ranking. (laughs) So to kick it off. Let's start with The Duel. The Duel was produced by Kamikaze Doga and, of course, features the Ronin. This is probably like the most talked about episode because it just was the first one and the book Ronin uh, comes from there. But uh, it's the Ronin. He approaches this village and, um, shocker, there's a Sith bandit there and she can step on us whenever she desires. Give us a time and a place. We will be there. Brat. What were your thoughts on this episode? What stood out to you? Well, I really like the art design of it all, how it's black and white, and it really makes those lightsaber colors pop, the red, especially yes. when it goes against the the lighting on the face. And I just love the lightsaber fight. I think one of the things about Visions is there are so many new li- lightsaber fights that I think are just phenomenal. And like yes, when you ask me, gosh. like, what are my favorite lightsaber fights in Star Wars? It's kind of cool that now I can add some more into the mix to think like, okay, mm-hmm. let's let's help rank these ones as well. I love the way that they end up at the waterfall and she, he kind of tricks her 
overall how she's so surprised that a Sith himself is hunting other Sith. And that's really intriguing. Yes. So, and we'll even talk more about this on our Ronin episode in a couple weeks. But I think the cool thing about Ronin as a character is that he, you don't know kind of where he comes from. He's so mysterious. He's kind of this wandering figure. And I love when Star Wars is like the wandering figure who you know nothing about. And as you start to peel back those layers and kind of uncover why is he the way he is, that that to me is is fascinating. So that's why you should read Ronan, one. Uh, but also the intrigue and mystery around these two characters in this short is what makes it for me, too. It's just like you don't know where you are or when you are. You're just there and you accept. Yes. It. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said about like the intrigue of his character when he opens up his robe and he has all the kyber crystals, it's so striking and scary. And you're like, oh, what's that about? He's killed a man before, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just think the whole way that like this episode is plotted out is really brilliant because we have the tea kettle that's boiling. We have, um, oh my gosh, we didn't even we talk didn't about even mention the droid and the droid oh section. Oh my God. We're fake fans. Oh my gosh. Fake vision fans. Cancel us now. Okay. Oh my God. Anyway, Ooh. the hat droid king there's also like i think there's a gonk droid in this episode so like yeah anyway 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 i loved the way that it was this black and white um episode with only these pops of colors with the electronics and with the lightsabers so it really you know when the force appears in this town it's very clear and i think that's fascinating and also here's my favorite thing from the uh filmmaker focus the log scene uh inspired by the Battle of the Heroes, okay? Ooh. The waterfall moment inspired by episode one, the palace, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then they all get stopped mm. in the, the duel of the fates. Right, because um, she puts her lightsaber up against the waterfall and it kind of sizzles like how Darth Maul, when he tests, yes. he tests the laser shield and kind of goes like, you know, right up against yeah. the shield. Yeah. Okay, I see that. In that moment of like lying in wait as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because he he tricks her in that moment too, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was like a brilliant uh, way to to write that story. And I was also, also, okay, okay. I have one more thing to say. This short has the two best shots in all of Visions, in my opinion. And the first one is him holding the, the lightsaber with the force, with like hands on either side of his face, essentially just right in front of his face. And you're just like, Oh, yes. <laughs> like, yes, it is so striking. And then the the moment he pulls out his lightsaber and the camera just gets longer, essentially, and mm-hmm. it's kind of following his arm outwards. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. I absolutely live for it. I'm ready to I'm very much considering like changing all of my computer backgrounds and phone backgrounds to like that image. But right now I have I have art from our podcast as my computer background. So like, I'm a little hesitant to give it up. (laughs) (laughs) I need another monitor is what we're we're hearing here. Um, But yeah, so that those are my favorite parts of that one. Yeah. And Sith Bandit, who, you know, her name is Koru. So Mm -hmm. uh, she she's a really intriguing character. And I got to say, I love the umbrella lightsaber because that was cool as heck. Like, my God, spinny, spinny, spinny. We love a good spinny, spinny Star Wars. So uh that moment when she goes right through the one guy and then you you get the the shot of the other guy who watches essentially right. the moments after she starts to spin it and i'm assuming like pulls it back out and like chops him into a thousand pieces and i was like oh what was that about close combat you're like oh oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. i'm terrified of her terrified. and her high heels yes yes absolutely all right so next up is tatooine rhapsody from studio colorado you said it best where it's just it's just like a really fun out there episode 
I love just Star Wars music so much, and I love how everybody is just totally vibing to the music. Mm-hmm. Even Boba Fett's kind of having a little bit of a good time yes. <laughs> towards the end, and Jabba's tail's wagging. Bib Fortuna's kind of even jamming a little bit. Like everybody's mm-hmm. jamming, and I love how it seems to be this tale starts out as a Jedi maybe escaping Order sixty six. That was the impression I got, yes. and that's kind of cool I to think, think like, oh, this this kid was on the run and he found a new family. And this is like very much a found family sort of episode. Like he mm-hmm. was swept up into this into this group, and this is now his new life. That's really cool. And I got to say, too, like hearing Tamora Morrison's voice was really special. And having him as Boba Fett, seeing Slave One, it was all great. Everything was great. You know, it's definitely like not my top episode, but like it's still very, very, very good. Like I'm not saying it's bad. It's just like it's very, it's, it was a lot of fun. Like I had a very good time watching it. It's definitely something I will revisit. Yeah. I think for me, I just had a great time watching it because the story is so out there. But also, you know me, Brad. You know that I love in-universe Star Wars music a mm-hmm. lot. I really do. Anytime a book introduces a new genre, I'm like, I want to know what it sounds like. Um, Was any so, of this high-pitched scatterbop, you think? I don't think so. I don't think we've heard high-pitched scatterbop quite yet. Mm-hmm. I think this might be slightly closer to something like Wreckbunk. Okay. Um, I feel that. You know, it's it's got a classic, like, you know, rock and roll vibe. We're, we're right. rolling here. So I think high-pitched scatterbop is going to be a little bit um wackier more like uh acid jazz perhaps um mm-hmm. so anyway those are my thoughts on star wars dramas and music uh <laughs> but what i love about this story um is how they all come together and they they really rally for geezer and they really take him in and and refuse to let him go and they ultimately change the course of his life um and the power of music like it's fun it's ridiculous the setting of the story is absurd but it makes it a great time because the way that it's filmed, you're coming into, um, is it Boon to Eve? Mm-hmm. Um, you're coming into like the stadium and it's a familiar salad setting expressed in a completely different way. And I thought that was really fun. All right. So kick us off with our next one. The next one is the twins. And this one was produced by trigger. And this one features two dark side twins, uh, Kare and Om. And perhaps Kare doesn't want to be so bad anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. he wants to do something different with his life. Mm-hmm. And it turns into a wacky, out-of-this-world, bold, epic battle. We watched this one together, and I freaked out. Mm-hmm. This is the one where all laws of physics are just broken, and that's totally okay. I love it. Totally okay. This basically took the Holdo maneuver and was like, let's do it again, but except if, like, Emily and Holdo like sat on top of the ship outside in space with no helmet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. basically. And like also like rainbow lightsaber, like what's going on? What what is happening? And, oh my like, gosh. Her like tentacle arm thing, she grows like six arms and she has got a bunch of lightsabers and their like electricity's cackling everywhere, grabbing his lightsaber like it's some sort of tentacle and there's a lot going on. I had some like venom, let there be carnage vibes to that <laughs> part of the scene. But I I, I love how you have these two twins that are obviously based off Luke and Leia and a lot of that, a lot of that imagery is there, especially by the end with the twin sons. And I love how the whole episode is centered around the idea of like, no one's ever really gone. Like he's not Mm -hmm. giving up on his sister. He knows she's out there somewhere and that they're going to find their purpose as to why they were born because we see that they were born from, uh, you know, the labs of the Sith apparently. So, uh, some sort of Sith acolytes possibly. And, 
I think that's really like endearing to know that he's not giving up on her. And that's like a really important story to tell with him. Star Wars is like, no matter what people do and like how bad they are, like you should not give up on them. Um, yeah. And that's, that's yeah. such an important lesson within this galaxy. And I think we'll talk that about that a little bit more when we get to Lapinocho as well. But yeah. for this one, um, what's so fascinating about this one is that the visual style is so out there and bold and is is very um, dynamic and colorful. And it, it, I didn't strike me at first, despite I like you know saw the twin Star Destroyers and I was like, oh, ho, 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 what do we have here? Oh my god! Um, and then hearing how they were going to put these Kyber crystals in their suits and then have their like the Force powers within them and. It's all so um, wacky, but so perfectly Star Wars that it works. And it reminds me a bit of uh, Starkiller in The Force Unleashed in the best way. And this is just like a really fun ride. And ultimately that lightsaber battle where, you know, she's got like the light whips essentially that are wrapping around his lightsaber and trying to like pull him to her. I was just completely enthralled the entire time you're watching this at the same time i am just freaking out because i'm like what is happening like it is off the rails in the best way and um i had a fun time watching it for sure there's also that moment when he shows her the future and like what her actions will lead to and they're sort of in this like nether world of the force like it's almost world between worlds area where He's like, this is what happens. He's just like, you really think I fear death? And I love the effect when everything kind of shatters around them and like we're back to like the normal scene. It was kind of cool, like having that drop away in, 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 in such a violent, aggressive manner versus like something more like ethereal and spiritual. It was just like glass shattering. Boom. Like you feel it with the characters yes. and like you're back in the action. And so like that kind of just speaks to the speed of this episode it's, it's it's the definition of faster and more intense like i'm sure george yeah. lucas said about every everything he watched was like this is great it's faster it's more intense the acting's great i love it <laughs> you know like he's having a great time wherever he's watching yeah. these. so hopefully he's watching them but I, I would imagine he loves this one just on the sheer amount of hecticness and chaos and if i may say i throughout all of these uh shorts i really love that they are not shying away from scary messy villainous women yeah i think we as a society struggle with showing powerful villainous women but like i think i think we still struggle with how we portray women in in media as villains or just simply as complex characters and oh my god the women villains in this series of shorts are like awesome ma'am (laughs) hi um oh my god um step on me (laughs) um but really though and then i think the final shot where we have like the x-wing pointed straight down into the sand and it's so beautiful and like the golden hour energy of it all is so good and there's like a sense of hope at the end and i think Mm -hmm. that's wonderful next up we have the village bride by kinema citrus and my gosh can we talk about the heels the heel the moment. heels the heels also something around these series of shorts <laughs> heels just generally everywhere and i'm like yes i have to respect these ladies because this is a lot of heel time um and like oof, ankles must yeah. be made of steel the the moment that f's heels like clicked open and i was like what is happening you know like oh she my God. she is the coolest she's one of my new favorite star wars characters easily like 
her oh, mask, yeah. the way it's it's taken off, and you see at the very end, she's like, you know, I'm a Jedi. And she's got she's holding the bolt in the air and she flips it back at the guy and all the mm-hmm. music starts swelling up. Her alone is just so amazing. But what I love most about this episode is the theme of like nature versus industrialization. This is also something that's kind of touched upon in Lapin Ocho, but the idea that this world is so tapped into like the natural elements and like how Asu and Haru, um, how they go up the mountain, they trek up the mountain and they kind of do that spell and the whole blue energy orb kind of expands across the landscape and all the mountains kind of fall over. And um, the way that the droids are there and they've kind of taken over and they try to excavate the resources and that's like a very common theme throughout star wars like the idea of like nature versus the imperial grip right like the fact that the empire Mm -hmm. went into many of these planets and just destroyed them we saw that in catalyst the the book how the empire is mining for materials to build the death star like what they've done to certain planets and you know uh that's that's terrifying to think about so i love how that continues to be such a major theme within new star wars stories and like you know how do we treat nature especially nature being connected to things like the force and the cosmic force and like how the force is like all living beings right and like the rocks even and the trees so if you get rid of those Mm -hmm. things like is the force kind of thrown out of balance and and what does that mean for our ability to connect to the force Yes. And I think for this short, um, the music just elevates the short so much, but that the story about nature um, and bringing in specifically that Japanese culture, um, the director talked about, and I'm, please forgive me if I don't paraphrase this totally correctly. You can go to the filmmaker focus and, and really get what he's saying, but the, uh, how there is this sort of, it's not a religion, but it's a reverence to the mountains. Um, that exists in some aspects of Japanese culture. And so he wanted to include that in this story um, in order to bring that Japanese uh, energy to it and that specific Japanese story. And I think while that, you know, that history comes from Japanese culture, it really, the theme is universal at the same time. Um, F is incredible, as you said. And, and I loved the, the, um, bride and groom especially voiced by christopher sean and their story was just so sad um but also very beautiful and then you mentioned the shoes oh my god but also the b1 battle droids yeah voiced by matthew wood <laughs> look how they're like when uh, i think it's azuma throws his helmet and they're they're all pointing at it going whoa you know <laughs> i was like yes i love battle droids <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's like a lot of good moments in this one. And this is the one that I really would love to see expanded all the way out to a feature because I was like, I could get more of this, um, you know, nature versus, uh, you know, empire kind of energy. I could get more of F. I could get more of these lovers in this culture that exists in the mountains. I want all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, our friend Kirk on Twitter, she was like, Village Bride is my everything. And I had not seen it yet. And now I'm also like, Village Bride is my everything. It's fine. Yeah. By the way, too, her carvings on her yellow lightsaber, that's like a thin blade, like a like a thin, like a samurai yeah, the sword. Thin blade. Oh my yeah. god, so cool. I forgot to mention so that. So awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was awesome. The fact that she like zips through the guy too. I'm just like, what is happening? And then he just like falls to the ground. Yeah. And you just see his body fall out of the frame. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Love that for me. Okay. Yeah. This brings us to the next short, which is the ninth Jedi, produced by 
production IG. And this is a bit of a two-parter in the stories that it's telling. It's got this father-daughter story, the sabersmith and his daughter, but it also tells the story of this young Jedi who is called to this you know far remote planet because they've mined Kyber and they've made some lightsabers for some Jedi. So he's there with some others and not everything is what it seems, Brad. Something that I learned from watching the documentaries for these episodes was that originally this was going to be two separate episodes. They were going to have a 10 episode season of visions and one would follow the father and the saber making. The other would be the masterless Jedi, the Sith, the Margrave, all that stuff. And as they were developing it, they kind of figured this might actually work together as, as one singular story. And like, I love the way that the two interweave between the others, but something that feels so almost magical about this episode is the feeling that the Jedi are not something that are readily accessible. They're not around anymore. Clearly, like, you know, the fact that the Margrave mm-hmm. is trying to gather Jedi to create a new order and a bunch of Sith show up. I love that. I love how the Jedi are almost like an extinct species. And yeah. the fact that a lightsaber hasn't been seen in such a long time. And I spoke earlier to the musical moment when he lights the lightsaber for the first time and, and uh, the father looks at it. And then when the droid lights one up, Everybody else looks at it and they're just so mesmerized by this this object of 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 ancient history. And there's something really special to that about how you as a viewer are kind of uncovering what happened to the Jedi and like will they return? And you're kind of wondering too. Kara felt almost like a, a Ray character. I could have really seen this story being like episode seven as I was watching it. I was like, oh, oh I could totally see like hmm. this being an episode seven plot, like where you have this character whose dad makes lightsabers and they're trying to bring back the the jedi or something and you know maybe they they went extinct after uh luke's temple blew up or something i don't know but i really got some vibes that like ah, this is just like there's something so it felt removed from everything but at the same time i was like i could see this logically be placed somewhere within our current thinking of timeline what star wars looks like yeah. Uh, what, even if it's like maybe a bunch of years after the rise of Skywalker, like this, this is just a fascinating setup. I love it. I love it so much. And seeing how it all comes together at the end with the twist and the new crew, like walking out very gloriously and they, sh- they fly off in a ship together. I'm like, I need to know what happens next. I'm like, I need to know everything. I want these characters so badly. Like they're, they're amazing. They're all amazing. Okay. Um, I just realized, um, the grumpy pilot droid. Oh yeah, the grumpy pilot droid. He's everything. Sipping like his his tea oil. He's like, I will work once I am done. And she's like, I don't have the time, buddy. Oh, like you're gonna take me to the temple, please. Right. Um. Well, and then there's and four nines, who's uh, her little small companion droid. Oh yes. Yeah. He's also very cute. Love droids. Oh my gosh. So many, so many good droids. I love if you're watching the lightsaber fight at the end. If you look in the background, you see four nines kind of like running around, just like waving his arms. He's like, stop, stop the fighting. <laughs> Huge chopper energy. He's, and he's a I pacifist. love that for him. Yes. Yeah. Um, I one thing I thought was really fascinating about the lightsaber like lore of this episode is the fact that the lightsaber kind of shifts shape and color depending on who is wielding it. And I think it was so cool that, you know, the first moment where the Sabersmith picks it up, his is a, a bright blue lightsaber in the very classic style. And then uh, Kara picks it up and um, it is kind of 
nebulous. It's translucent. It doesn't have a color. It's mm-hmm. it's the wrong length for, you know, her dimensions as a person. And then and then all the all the quote unquote Jedi pick it up and boom, they're all Sith. I uh-huh. I I was yelling. Well, I wasn't I wasn't even yelling. I was just sternly swearing at my TV. And my mom from downstairs is like, Sarah, are you good? And I was like, uh, no, things are not going so great for our heroes. Things are kind of turning bad. Um, so this, yeah, mm, mm, it really, it really got me. And I'm so curious about the fact that this could have been two parts because I think I would have loved to seen it. Um, but I also liked that it all flowed together in the way that it did. So it's, it's a, it's a little bit of like a win-win, whatever way we could have gotten this story. And this one was a really cool one. I really enjoyed it and look forward to going back to it. And this is another one where I'd love to get like a book about what happens next. Yeah. Or what came before. All right. I'm very happy to introduce our next one, which is TOB1, which was from Science Saru. And this is the one with Kyle Chandler as Professor Mataka and also has Jin Wallman as TOB1 or Toby, Jedi Knight Toby. And this was a really cute episode. I love how kind of silly and like fun it is and all the little droid friends that follow TOB1 around. And it's definitely a play on the whole Pinocchio story and like wanting to be a real boy. So there's something really familiar about it. And it's almost like a, a warm hug. <laughs> and yeah. even though Professor Mataka, you know, loses his life to the Inquisitor, which the inclusion of an Inquisitor alone was phenomenal. Um, how TOB1 continues his master's mission of bringing life back to this planet, which the moment when he is about to face the Inquisitor and he sees Mataka in like this world between worlds place and he gives him the confidence and the wherewithal to fight. That was like, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And the fight itself was awesome. He puts his dread on his back and like uses him as a jetpack. I was like, what is yes! happening? So super big yeah. V18 energy, but like even better. Yeah. So I just love how it ended. I love the feeling of hope that that is there by the end and the life coming back into the planet um, was wonderful to see. So it's funny you mentioned Pinocchio because the filmmaker focus also mentions Pinocchio. Uh, they talk about the animation that they watched as children the creators and then they also talk about going to disney classic films and and referencing specifically pinocchio and i was like that's incredible so they wanted to go with a more retro style and you can really see that it feels childish um and i say that positively and it feels whimsical uh and it feels like you know this is a story of a kid um and he's a droid but he's also a kid and so they said a couple of things that blew my mind I did not put together two and two that like this was an inquisitor until the person in filmmaker focus said inquisitor and i was like oh what um well i think tob1 says like a jedi killer too at some point which i was like oh that's it inquisitor that's how you put it together yeah because he he said jedi yeah and it kind of looked like like the fighter looked like the uh fighters from rebels a little bit um yeah but i just i just did not put it together so i had fun in the filmmaker focus when i did that yeah but it also says that the jedi droid maker mataka is hiding out post order 66 so it kind of places it within the timeline that we know interesting um but and then the other thing that one of the filmmakers says was having them in that spirit world essentially he says it brought back memories for when when mataka said toby 
and he changed kind of into that boy is that he brought back the memories of the boy. And that makes me wonder, is T.O.B. one like a droid? I don't want to say reincarnation, but like recreation of a Padawan that he lost. Mm, That makes me very sad that you say that. I know. And also the loss of Mataka's life makes me sad to be really honest with you. But I think what's um, watching that filmmaker focus, it gave me so many more layers to the short that hurt, but were valuable. Oh my gosh. I hurt so bad now that you're, <laughs> you're implying the fact that T.O.B. Yeah. one is his old Padawan Toby that he but, lost in order but, 66. Well, yeah. Or, or like some attempting Ooh. to like recreate that bond um, with somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But one thing I, I will say before I close out on this one is just, I adored the, the workshop that they were in mm-hmm. and I adored um, the whimsy of what it looked like on the walls and in the space that Mataka worked in. And just that whole setting of the story mm-hmm. was beautiful and so fun to look at um, that that alone makes the short worthwhile. Also the zany sounds, you hear a lot of sounds while yeah. you're in the workshop and it kind of feels like, you know, like you're twisting things, you're pulling things, you're bopping it, twist it. Pull it's, it, it's bop a bop it. It. Yeah. it literally feels like you're like inside of a bop it because you're hearing all a these like little noises. And like in my mind, I think of like TLB1 and Mataka like tweaking certain things and building things. And that's the impression that you get from being within that workshop just on the sound mixing alone, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. That brings us to our next short, The Elder, which is the second short from Trigger. This one features a Padawan and a master who are traveling to a distant planet and they come across. Mm, crazy old man yeah crazy old sith man Mm -hmm. and his his battle is very interesting and then they have a conversation afterwards and um i think this one struck others more than it struck me but i'm willing to like relook at it and get Mm -hmm. more from it i think it was fascinating the way that the elder was um depicted and his sabers and i also think that the comment that the master makes at the end when he says it was not me who killed him. You know, if I had fought him when he was younger, he would have bested me, essentially. Mm-hmm. It was time that got to him. Yeah. He says it, he couldn't win against the weakness that comes with age. No matter how powerful you become, no, it will not last forever. Yeah. Um, I just found that to be very interesting and something that I look forward to sitting with and revisiting in this short. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you get out of this one? Yeah, I think it boils down to that final conversation. What distinguishes a Jedi from a Sith? And a Mm. Sith is someone that seeks immortality, that wants to live forever, that wants to gain power, um, and they fear to lose it. That's why like Palpatine, I think he always just somehow returns is because he's quite literally clinging on to his mortality. Yes. And immortality and trying to live another day and grow more powerful despite whatever condition he might be in. So it kind of felt like the elder was almost fighting that battle and like maybe each victory he gains a little bit of strength to keep him going. And that's what this was going to be, you know, another two Jedi to to kill and all right, on to the next one. I live I live another day. But for a Jedi, it's a Jedi's uh it's a Jedi's kindness in their heart and that's what Tajin says to to uh Dan. He says, you know, you will grow great eventually. It's not to say you won't gain power or you won't gain greatness, but just remember not to forget your training and your kindness. Those yeah. are the things that make you you, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but a Sith, 
doesn't have those things. They forget their training because they embrace the dark side, which is not trained. So it's it's sort of like a fun, it's a fun case study of like, here's what you could become, but like here's what you are now. And like obviously, Dan got bested there for a moment, but at the end, he with the teamwork of his master, uh, they they best the elder, and it, it kind of just mm-hmm. goes to show like, listen, even if you gain that power and that immortality, it won't last. Like it's not, it's yeah. not worth it. The temptation's not worth it. Like, remember those kids that you saw in the village earlier that like were just grew, like that grew on you real quick. And they were, they were like having yeah. fun, kind of, kind of like looking, looking at the side of the barn. Like that, that's your kindness right there. That that's why you're you and what makes you special. It's not your abilities in the force. Yes. And I think that the, the Jedi mantra of like find balance and stillness in, in this episode, I really love uh, since Rogue One, we've been getting kind of these prayers, these mantras. Um, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me, essentially, over and over a lot. But also, like, find balance and stillness. They both stay together at one point. And I think that's really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, we have Lop and Ocho, which is from Gino Studio. And like I mentioned earlier, this is another story about the effects of industrialization, industrialization on a natural environment. And we see what happens to Tao once they let in the Empire and what the Empire promises in return. It's protection. It's uh, the advancement of all people. But Yasaburo knows that this is just a diplomatic way of saying they're taking over. And we see this within the Bad Batch, right? The Bad Batch is like, hey, peace and prosperity. The Empire, you know, we're here to protect when they're instilling chain codes in people and... um and taking people, politicians, prisoners, and uh, all this, all this bad stuff that's happening, right? So you see that here, and you see Ocho kind of get brainwashed into that cult in a way. And like her sister, it's it's really sad to see how Lop, who is adopted into this family, to lose one of them, and mm-hmm. for Yasaburo to to recognize that, like, hey, I'm sorry if I've ever treated you less than, but like, just know that you're not you you are just as much a, as part of this family as anybody else and like i'm your father we're bound by family and i love the line where he says inheritance has nothing to do with blood there is so much that matters more and so i felt this episode really connected to a lot of the sequel trilogy which is the yeah. idea that it doesn't matter where you come from whether it is from a bloodline or if it's not from a bloodline um it's really who you surround yourself with and like what family that you choose because you can't you don't have an option to choose your blood family that's that's not given to you but you do have an option to choose a family outside of that uh if you need to and that is something that lop definitely did it's something that ray does and Mm -hmm. um i think that's a really like poetic message for this this short yeah and I have to go back to like the nature and industry thing because it's even clearer in this short than it is even in the village bride. And it's sad uh, to see the ways in which the planet has changed and which especially Ocho has changed. You know, she, she's the one who essentially convinced her father to take in Lop when Lop escaped um, slavery. And then she gets caught up in her own ego and loses herself to the dark side. And I think what's so beautiful kind of about the end of the short, uh, when Yasaburo hands over like the ancestral lightsaber is just the way in which uh, you can come from anything and be anybody, but also in the way that he has hope for 
Lop and also ultimately hope for Ocho in that same mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah. And at the end of the story, uh, the filmmakers talk about the way that you you kind of hope that you you hope to think that they will go on and reconcile in the future, and she will not give up on Ocho. Um, and I think that's really lovely. Uh, but notable also from the filmmaker focus is that Lop and Ocho has hand painted backgrounds, um, mm. which kinds of gives it the lived in feel and is very beautiful. But also, they talk about the idea of uh, wabi sabi, which is a really interesting idea. And they and I quote, melancholic but harmonious ending. So it's kind of that um, the so so feeling, but contentness at the same time. Um, hopefully, I'm not completely butchering that idea. Uh, but I just thought the talking about that idea was really interesting. Um, Wabi Sabi talks about, and I'm on Wikipedia, an acceptance of transience and imperfection. So that goes back to the melancholic but harmonious ending. Um, and I think that's very interesting to bring into this story. Right, because the the ending is pretty abrupt. It's just it's just Ocho saying, you know, we can be one happy family. And that's yeah. like the last thing that you hear. So you're kind of left on that cliffhanger to wonder, okay, what's next? Are they gonna go, they're gonna still go after Ocho? Like they're not, they're not giving up on her. That's something, again, that we saw in the twins and is very evident here. And I, I don't know if we can hammer it home enough <laughs> that Star Wars is about uh, redemption in a lot of ways and saving the ones that we love uh, because family uh, is is the core of these stories. It's the relationships that we have with others and like loving one another. That's what George has always said. It's just about loving people and being selfless. So, mm-hmm. um, not selfish, right? And so Ocho is kind of in this mode of thinking where she's doing the right thing because she thinks that she is right, but she's not recognizing the flaws in her thinking. And it's just going to take yeah. her family to bring her back from that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And she clearly doesn't know that. She's just kind of been brainwashed into this organization um, yeah. to the detriment of her, her life. So I'd be excited to see this uh, have a follow-up at some point. Me as well, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to our final short, Akakiri, produced by Science Saru as well, their second short. And this one is a tragedy. Yeah. This one is a tragedy. It features Ooh. a villainous woman, right, in Masago. Uh, and it also features a vision, a vision of a death, a vision in this red haze. And uh ouch. Yeah. The Anakin the Anakin vibes were strong, right? Because yeah. Subaki's having this vision of him killing Misa. Uh likewise Anakin and Revenge of the Sith has the vision of Padme in childbirth dying as the result of his actions. Did you see that coming with with her being the one that he's having the vision of? Was that did that come as a shock to you? And I actually went back and re, when I rewatched it, you can see Masago kind of using the force like a puppet against Misa and then you can see kind of Misa like almost walking like a puppet like she has strings on her while Masago uses her hands it's even more twisted when you watch it back and recognize that to see like she is really she really wants Subaki to fall to the dark side and she knows that Misa can be a lure to yes. to bring him to that side by giving him something and he wants. Likewise, what Palpatine did, Palpatine sold Anakin mm-hmm. the knowledge to save Padme. Yes, and then with the short as well, like 
Tsubaki gets the warning that he's mm-hmm. walking into his own destiny and he's walking into a bad destiny and that he will be tempted despite, despite his love or despite his care for Misa. And, um, ouch. ouch. <laughs> um, but I guess it's worth noting the title. So I mentioned Red Haze earlier, but Akakiri quite literally means red fog. And the word Akakiri together, so like Aka means red, Kiri means fog, and then together the word means custody, um, as in the connections between people. Um, mm, (laughs) It's really good, and it's deeply upsetting, and I feel like I don't have anything intelligent to say about it, but um, I'm just upset about it in the best way. It's We get that flashback of them, and I was like, oh God, they love each other. Like, oh no. Like, oh no. Yeah. And to just watch like Misa wake back up and see his fall, it's very Romeo and Juliet-ish. Like, what have you done? Um, and it hurts. <laughs> I don't really feel like I have more intelligent things to say other than like my own feelings about it. But I will say that the film makers also said that this one, alongside the duel, were inspired by Kurosawa. Um, mm-hmm. So really notable to to mention that influence as well, um, which makes me feel like I really really ought to go back and watch um kurosawa's films so. yeah oops but anyway sadness akakiri is sadness <laughs> well we've gone through each of the stories now and i want to ask you what are your top three favorite and i know you know this isn't set in stone i'm sure these always change like our star wars rankings change all the time that's just like part of being a star wars fan is like it can change at any <laughs> given moment depending on the season depending on the weather depending if i've had morning coffee you know like (laughs) it could change but where are you right now with your top three right now like i had a lot of trouble putting this all together but the ones that i am thinking about now are number three the twins number two the duel and number one the village bride um just like a slight rationalization for those three the twins which is so epic in scale that it's it's hard to ignore the duel is so exciting to watch and it was the first one that i saw and i love the colors and and the way that those two shots that i talked about when we talked about it they're just so brilliant and then the village bride like the music no i will not shut up about it do not make me it's so brilliant um but also just having this conversation i think more about tatooine rhapsody and akahiri so you know what are your top three (laughs) well right now ninth jedi steals the cake very easily for me i think it's just the Mm -hmm. the long form storytelling really works and how the, the the two plots come to a head at the end it was just so excellent just so again intrigue wanting to know more about this time and place it, it just excited me as a star wars fan i just wanted to know everything about that world uh, and live in it for even longer the village bride for many of the reasons we already listed and uh right now at my number three i have the duel because uh, mm. maybe it's just the fact that it's the first one I saw and I love the animation style, the black and white uh, composed against the red of the saber and all those, all those uh, images and just the, the battles themselves. Uh, and, and obviously droid with straw hat is a big pull for me uh, to crack in yes. my top three. So we can't forget yes. him, but that's where I'm at right now. And those could change in the future, but those really jumped to mind maybe honorable mention to akakiri because i do love a star wars tragedy and i love how that was composed specifically with the editing and the music 
and the, the visions mm-hmm. kind of flashing and 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 also the change in the color at the end when uh when um Subaki kind of comes to and uh, after his yeah. eyes change color and the entire environment is red like that alone no. i was like shit oh. this is this is some good stuff right and the uh you know the point of you looking up at masago when her eyes are pure red against her dark silhouette i was like that's chilling that's chilling so i could see that cracking into my top three potentially for sure and i think the more that i watch these the more that this will change around or my feelings will evolve and i look forward to that because there's just still so much to enjoy um about these shorts uh to close it all out here i think we've talked a bit about you know wanting this show or this you know project to get a second series wanting more of these stories to expand out into larger stories of some sort do you think it'll actually happen? And uh, what's what's the future of all this? I think we'll get more visions for sure. And I, I think that because if Lucasfilm is paying attention, they will see how this how the Star Wars fan community has rallied around these stories and like the fan art that's being shared and the appreciation for everything. And again, the fact that you are involving new creators and expanding the franchise in a way that hasn't been done in quite some time. I think it's very important to continue that work. Um, it could be, again, like you said, new anime studios. It could be some of the same ones. I think there are a couple stories that should definitely get sequels. Uh, the Ninth Jedi definitely jumps to mind immediately, as well as Lop and Ocho. I think those, and the mm-hmm. twins, I think those would be my top three to get a, a follow up episode. But I would love to see like a 10, 10 episodes. Um, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. And like executive producer James Waugh in an interview with uh, Cinema Blend, he said, could vision scale into other places? We're having those conversations right now of how far we want to take it. As far as more shorts as of right now, that's not necessarily something we are actively planning, but we definitely reserve the right to say, look, everybody's brought, bought in the visions. We really love the potential. We are deeply passionate about these shorts. We just sort of hope the audience and the fandom and the communities, and if they feel the same way, uh, I think there is real possibility for that, but we have to see how people react next week and assess. This was before uh, the premiere, but I mean, you know, obviously he's going to say that's not something we're actively planning because that would be a huge bit of news there. So they might still be actively planning it and he just can't say, but I think looking at the reaction generally, um, they should definitely follow up with more. I will respectfully say that I think they would be fools to only leave this here. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I say that was with, with the utmost kindness because like there's just truly such rich potential mm-hmm. with more stories, um, being told and more creators being brought into the fold, whether they be canon or not, you know, whether they be completely new stories or all sequels of these ones. I just think there is so much here and to continue to expand, um, people's awareness of anime whether you be like a new fan like myself or somebody who really knows it you know you're bringing in anime fans to star wars bringing star wars fans to anime you know and and merging these two mediums and these two ideas and i think it's it's really amazing and um i hope that it continues to kind of like the marketing push so that new audiences maybe more mainstream audiences pick up on this because you and me were going to watch this no matter what you know um we, we run a Star Wars podcast, we talk about the stuff on the daily. We, we exist on Star Wars internet. But, you know, somebody like my cousin who like kind of enjoys going to the movies and watches Mando, she might, she didn't know about this. So, or she wasn't inclined to pick it up. Um, and she's very much a casual fan. So 
I hope that more casual fans get exposed to it, um, enjoy it, and and find something to really pull from it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, kind of bringing all these different aspects of fandom and outside of fandom together. I think this could be something that they do for many years. I mean, I, personally, I would love to see Visions every single year with like a book. I think that would be excellent. Like if you can a make dream. Star Wars anime like a regular staple of the franchise where you're getting new stories told every year. Like what if? What if's doing a second season next year? And mm. or maybe I don't know if it's next year in the coming years, but they're doing a second season and they're bringing on new uh new actors like from the franchise to reprise some of their roles. That's really exciting. So that that should continue. Absolutely. I I agree with you. It'd be it'd be one of the biggest missed opportunities, I think if they didn't continue with it so fingers crossed fingers crossed also i think i just think generally that star wars should continue to invest in animation um does this come from some of my salt from resistance only getting two seasons you bet and i know we're continuing with bad batch but at the end of the day like we are adult people podcasting about star wars at the end of the day star wars is for kids Mm-hmm. And like a short like TOB one that is accessible to a child that brings them in in a new way, you know, a Saturday morning cartoon perhaps for a child. Like heck yeah! Oh my god! Like it it's it's clear to me that that is the the way to go. And I look forward to hearing an official announcement of whatever they're however they're expanding these stories. I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna put that energy out into the universe. Yes, um, because that's manifesting what I want. manifesting right now in here. Yeah. With that, I think that brings us to the end of our episode. But before we kind of go into our closeout, closeout, this is Visions and Visions Adjacent Month, people, on Friends of the Force, because we have coming have a discussion on Ronan, the book, um, all the spoilers, all of our thoughts. There's so much happening in that book, and it is fascinating. And I'm very much looking forward to talking about it on the pod. And then we also have an interview with author Emma Candon author of Ronan and we are so excited to share that as well they were the absolute loveliest and we had a great time talking with her about everything Ronan and visions and Japanese culture and also writing and writing Mm -hmm. in general so it was a great time I don't think we intentionally planned a visions month but like it happened and I'm okay with it honestly like three episodes in a row of Star Wars visions and ah it's a good time it's a good time it's something that we love and, you know, our, our mantra here is uh, finding joy in Star Wars and in fandom. And this is currently the thing that is bringing us joy. So we are here to talk about it while we can. <laughs> and, Brad. Yeah. Did you know that I like Star Wars? Ah. Like a lot. Funny thing. I do, too. I know. We should host a podcast together or something. Look, look at us. that. Look at that. Yeah. You know, Visions yeah. has really given me that energy lately. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a good time. It's a very good time. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure this won't be like the last time we talk about Visions. You know, maybe in the future we'll do some more in-depth episodes uh, to pick apart some of our favorite stories uh, even even deeper. And uh, that, that, would be, that would be a lot of fun as well. So yeah, thank you all for uh, sticking with us throughout this episode. And for both Sarah and I, you can find us on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Goodreads. And you can also find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure wherever you're listening to the show to subscribe to our feed. That way, all of our new episodes drop right into your device, wherever you're listening. And if you have a couple extra minutes in your day, please leave us a written review and let us know what you like about the show. It helps us feel good, but it also helps other folks find the podcast so they can join our Star Wars discussion and all the cool things that we're doing here in the uh, coming year ahead. 
Um, it's kind of scary to think about, but we, uh, we're only like eight months away from Star Wars Celebration. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do some cool things. Um, you know, we're, we're like planning for the many months ahead and I'm really excited for all the cool ideas that we have, uh, in, in, in store. Longtime listeners. Remember Denny's? Because we haven't forgotten. <laughs> we haven't <laughs> forgotten about the Grand Slams. <laughs> All the Grand Slams. We also have a Patreon where tiers start at just a dollar. And we have some exciting things coming up on the Patreon, including more reviews about the THR comics, um, both Adventures and the main line, as well as the Edge of Balance and a couple other series that we're doing, including the novelizations and deleted scenes. So that's all coming up before the end of the year. And we are so, so grateful for our patrons. For making the show happen, um, it, it does cost a little bit of money to run a podcast. You wouldn't think until you started doing it. So, so many thanks to our patrons. Amy, Anna, Brian, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Jen, Knights of Ren, Huang, Levi, Lindsay, Lucy, Marie Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, Saber Bouquet, Sky Talkers, Travis, T, and Zachary. Thank you. Yes, thank you all so much for listening once again. And until next time, may the force be with you always. Bye.